0: good afternoon and welcome to examining the art and science of change management a health system cio media inc production just a little housekeeping before we get started my name is anthony guerra i'm the editor-in-chief of health Systems cio and i'll be your moderator today we're looking forward to your participation. You could send in your questions or comments anytime at the Q&A box, and we'll take those later in the program. Just so you see what, how we're going to spend our time today, first, we're going to go about 35 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring John Mason, SVP and CIO at Quorum Health, Karen Marhefka, Deputy CIO at R W J Barnabas Health and VP of IT at R W J Barnabas Health Medical Group, and then we will have our audience Q&A. Let's jump right in. A lot of good stuff to talk about. Karen, let's start with you. Can we get an overview of your organization and your role?
1: Sure. Thank you, Anthony. Hello, everyone. Glad to be with you this afternoon. Uh, big acronym RWJBH stands for Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas Health, Barnabas uh, Health. Uh, Health. Uh, we are the partner for the Rutgers Medical School. We're about 37,000 employees strong, 9,000 Physicians, a thousand residents and interns. We have fourteen hospitals and over four hundred uh, medical group practices. Uh, let's see, little little other interesting tidbit: forty uh, percent of all New Jersey clinicians work for RWJ Barnabas Health, and we are the largest academic health system in the state of New Jersey. Our pair mix is predominantly commercial. We're at 61% commercial, uh, 2% self-pay, 37% government. uh, In our medical group, which is a lot where my focus is, Um, we see over about 2.5 million visits a year. And um, with a little fun fact, and again, you'll hear me say this throughout uh, throughout our hour together, I'll focus on this aspect of our organization. Uh, With very few exceptions, um, those four hundred plus practices do all their own scheduling and predominantly all their own administrative uh, access and revenue cycle activity. Essentially, we've got over four hundred separate business offices. Talk about an opportunity for change management! <laughs> um, uh, I'll I'll leave it there, but that's uh, that's our organization.
2: Excellent, Karen. Thank you very much, John. Hey, Anthony. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. My name is John Mason. I'm the CIO for Quorum Health. Um, and Quorum Health is uh, 21 hospitals uh, located across the United States, uh, primarily in rural and community, uh, community-sized community uh, cities. Um, so we, we range everywhere from North Carolina all the way to the West Coast. So we span all four um, area code uh, time zones. And uh, we primarily operate, as I say, in these rural communities. so um, very different than what Karen just mentioned, uh, much more an urban environment. I, I came from that in the past, but uh, but quorum is focused on those rural communities where if you don't have the hospital, you might be driving anywhere to two to three hours to get to a hospital. So we we kind of hit that market um, that sits in that that zone between the, the big urban markets. Um, we are primarily acute care uh, we don't do a lot of specialty work we do you know clearly all the normal acute care things uh, and the practices in those communities is what we focus on uh, we are centralized out of nashville tennessee brentwood actually is our uh, address um, and we provide centralized in my role centralized uh, i.t services to all these hospitals so um We'll talk about it later. We went through a very large migration um, off of a transition service agreement uh, just about a year and a half ago. Um, The Quorum Company was spun out uh, from CHS back in 2016 prior to my my arrival here. But uh, uh, as I say, primarily rural acute care, associated practices, and surgery centers to go with that. So that's our organization.
0: Excellent, John. All right, Karen, let's start with you. Talk about the evolution of the CIO from simply ensuring system uptime and availability to fostering user satisfaction and delivering business value.
1: So I am three years into my role here at RWJBH, and I brought uh, an element of, of, I'll call it non-utilitarian CIO-ism into our IT&S organization. And we have, uh, there's actually our structure is an executive uh, executive vice president, corporate CIO, who I report to. And uh, below below Rob, there are two deputy CIOs of which I serve as one of them. And um, although the, the, the scattering of, of our vice presidents um, throughout our IT organization is a nice mix of application management, uh, network um, you know oversight, all the hardcore you know technical things. Um, my role in particular although I focus a lot on 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 the ambulatory side, my role has become much more of a we've got really smart people overseeing a lot of the very very complex technical aspects of our organization um, but we need folks from uh, representation from ITNS, that are so embedded into uh, the activities within our operational colleagues and counterparts that that I don't think about the network being up every day. I don't think about field services ticket uh, resolutions being under under our targets for uh, for SLAs and and our meeting our KPIs. I, I, I I look at them, I make sure that I'm apprised of them on a regular basis and again, I have extremely smart. We have extremely smart people who caretake that every day. I am able then to focus on that immersion into our oper, into our operational world. I walk that talk every single, and walk that walk and do that talk every single day. Um, I sit on myself, my my boss um, at the at the at the corporate level, and my counterpart. Um, we sit in capital committees. We sit in the facilities committee. Uh, we sit on business development committees, um, places where you wouldn't normally see a CIO. Um, we are, that's how I spend my time. So um, I bring, I I essentially, and I said this to Anthony and John at the beginning as we were prepping for the call today. Um, I try and make sure that. Uh, my operational college, as well as my IT uh, the staff and our, and our government's governance model within IT is built around being pitchers and catchers. We have to receive the request for for, for IT components, but at the same time, we have to be aware of the reason for those requests. Uh, we have to keep a uh, budget in mind. We have to keep uh, five years out, 10 years out in mind as we're dealing with those requests. So we're we're catching and we're pitching every single day, 24-7. So my role, that CIO, is a bit different than mm-hmm. what it has been over the last uh, 20, 30 years back. And uh, I'm having a ball.
2: Oh, very good. Excellent. John? Yeah, I think uh, similar to Karen, I've, I've seen a real shift, right? I, I think um, in the earlier days when technology was still a little less robust, um, you did spend a lot of time focusing on the technology, focusing on the uptime, focusing on what I would call fundamental, the fundamental blocking and tackling. You know, are we, are we answering the phone? Are we resolving problems quickly? Are we keeping the systems up? Um, and are we providing the things we've been asked to provide? Uh, but things have certainly shifted. And much like Karen, um, I don't really spend a lot of time in that much anymore. Um, I have a great team and, and we're structured a bit different as well. So I mentioned uh that we'll talk about this, but we we essentially stood up an entirely new IT organization about 18 months ago. We had we had to build everything over because we were part of a transition service agreement. And um so most of that I have now sourced out to companies like DXE, Tech Mahindra, some other local companies, uh, and Microsoft that that do some of that blocking and tackling for me. So one of the other differences, maybe different than what Karen's describing, is I do those things as well with the business, but I also spend a lot of time in vendor management um, because really I'm holding them accountable to contractual terms and obligations around their service delivery. Um, so I'm holding them accountable, but I'm also then dr- pushing them on cost reduction, uh, performance improvement, um, and then those subsequent implementations of new technologies and new new business lines. Um, what what I do very similar to what Karen mentioned was in the catching and and pitching um, is part of my job is to also be and I use this term loosely, but the adult in the room. Um, I I have to. able to look at the folks that are asking these questions and ask them the hard business questions as well about their return on investment, um, their ability to to get value out of what they want to implement, ensure that they've thought through, if you're going to make that decision now, do you recognize the impact financially to the next thing that you want to do? So uh, the CIO role role has changed quite a bit. Um, Interestingly, we had a new board member uh, join us this month. Um, we actually have board meeting today and tomorrow, and I met with him this morning. And um, I think his perception of CIOs are we're the techies, we're the propeller mm-hmm. heads. Um, and what I quickly got to was I've also been a hospital COO. I'm a, I'm a business guy. I've got an MBA. I understand the business as well. And uh, I think most of the board now understands that and and for him as well, that um we had a different level of value than we would have 10 years ago where we were just doing technology.
0: Excellent, very good. All right, John, we're going to stick with you. Sure. Um, how can CIOs be agents of change? And discuss the art and science of change management. You referenced a lot of the um financial acumen you're bringing to the table. Um, but about this
2: change management process, what can you tell us about that? Yeah. So it might it might help if if I give you a a quick backstory on Quorum um, and kind of give you a sense for the change that we've been through. So as I mentioned, we were um, a spin out from a company called CHS, uh, Community Health Systems here in Nashville. Um, At the time we were, when I got hired, we were 28 hospitals. We were spun out originally as 38. Um, And we were put under a transition service agreement where essentially we were getting our technology from CHS Um, for a period of time. What what I considered to be an excessive, it was five years. It was a long TSA. Um, I arrived about a little over two and a half years into that TSA, uh, and there was no real plans to transition us. And so when I I arrived, I got hired. Um, The first thing, of course, I got put in front of me was, you've got to get us off this TSA in two and a half years. And and so for us, it was a huge challenge. Um, it was a hundred percent hardware replacement. Everything we had was passed into life. Um, it was new networks, uh, new data centers, uh, complete hardware refresh in the facilities, a new HR payroll system, a um, thousand sixty-six applications that had to be recontracted and reinterfaced. And so it was this massive undertaking um, that we had to get through. So from a change management perspective. Uh, the difficulty you have there is there's a lot of business people that think, just go do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think they realize that the scope of that change was so massive on the organization, not to mention the risk of the technology and the implications to such a massive change. But managing the change in the organization to all these new systems and and new technologies and things sitting side by side all the way, um, it had to start at the very top, so my change management had to start with the the CEO and the CFO, and the rest of the exec team understanding what we were being asked to do. And unfortunately, we, as an organization, waited two and a half years and a five-year TSA to even start thinking about it. Um And Karen would probably agree, and I'm sure you all would, that uh, 28 hospitals, just a new EHR alone in 18 months, was what we had originally planned to get that rolled out was was a massive undertaking. But when you put everything underneath it as well, the timing had to be so precise. So the change management of making sure that our executive team understood what was coming and then filtering that down to the hospital specific C-suites, the IT folks, uh, took a great deal of time. The communication was massive, it was constant. um, And then I had this whole technology thing on the side. So, so change management is critical because if I didn't get them on board and get them to understand what was coming and start thinking through the implications of the change with me, um, we were sure to not get through this project. Um, and it, it, it paid itself out later because uh, in the middle of that, we went through a, a financial restructure, COVID, uh, as well. And so we ended up only with nine months to do all that. Uh, We didn't order our first hardware until July of 20, and we had a hard dead date of April 27th of 2021, and the circuits were cut. Um, But had we not done all the change management ahead of time and got the sense of urgency in the organization, I don't think we would have made it. So we did all that in nine months.
0: Impressive, John. Karen, what
2: what are your thoughts?
1: Okay, uh, so one thing I didn't mention in my uh, introduction of who RWJBH is is that uh, we are all fourteen, well, eleven hospitals, and uh, all those practices over plus four hundred practices that I mentioned. We are right smack in the middle of uh, transitioning to Epic, and it's we've divide because it's so massive. It's a five-year project of which we're pretty much right in the middle of. We've segregated the go lives into waves of which there are of which there are six. and we are uh, at number approaching number wave number four. So everything's going very well, technically, uh, you know, making sure, you know, we're we're placing all the devices and we're connecting everything up and we're making sure obviously epic is built correctly, we're standard build and training is going well and all of that. But I have consistently, myself and 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 my colleagues have consistently uh worked with our operational counterparts by um, by keeping the message strong. It's not about the technology. It's about the workflow. The day to day, the workflow is going to be the most drastic change that our customers are going to feel. Providers, staff members, um, every everyone um, that they're going to feel. And it it the you know the, the the technical components of this is not. I don't want to call it easy. I don't want to belittle that, but it's much easier than than you know than the human aspect of of change. And some of the responses to that is, well, that's okay. We're going to have at the elbow support for six months, right? <laughs> no, um, that's not right. A lot of this you're going to have to take. You know, once we get you started, you're just going to have to internalize a, a lot of this stuff and and um, and 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 use what help is provided. But eventually, you're going to have to be the accepting body of this change and and make and make it work. And a lot of that. Now that we're two and a half years in, a lot of that. What's happening is exactly what I expected to have happen. It you didn't prepare us well enough, um, you know, for 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 what for what is going on here. So um, you you just got to pivot. You, you got to keep the message strong, and you just have to sort of pivot around some of those challenges. Um, every single one of our waves has been 100 successful. And every time uh, we go th- we go through another Go Live wave, there's a, there's a sense of, wow, that one went a lot smoother than the one before, and not just from an IT perspective, but from our customer base, where they know that we really have our act together because we've been consistent and standard with how we've with how we've rolled uh, with, how, with how we've rolled this out. So I'll I'll finish up by by providing an even more uh focused example of, of how we're handling that change. On the medical group side, we were able to in the past, we would get a call from business development, uh, our business development colleagues who say, we just acquired a practice, seven to 12 providers. We need to get them up on, you know, our one of our legacy systems uh by next Tuesday. <laughs> and Actually, we were able to do that. um there wasn't a big machine epic machine, so to speak, behind that. It was taking care of a specific group of providers on a specific platform where we already had a lot of things built, and we didn't need specific hardware because we were all over the place. We could do that now, and it took them a long time to get there they're they're now what they're very um they were very good students listening to us and getting used to the fact that. Uh, a, a newly acquired practice, don't sign that contract until we've had a long discussion about when we are going to be able to put that practice on EPIC. And so that con- those conversations that ch- change management ab- about about what can happen and when and how. Um, that's been a big challenge for our organization to to settle into that new reality that things can't just happen like that, and um, we're getting there. But it's it's interesting. The challenges have not been technology; they've they've been the workforce.
2: You know, Anthony, I was going to add one thing to what Karen said. Um, it, one, it's nice to know that the, the same issues exist everywhere. <laughs> uh, but uh, Comforting. you know. Yeah, that's right. You talk about the art and the science, right? the The art is the ability for the CIO to have the difficult conversation in a way that people can receive it. And all of that, and and the organ help the organization do the same. The science comes into the stuff Karen's mentioning, which is, in our case, and I'm sure hers as well, is the I have I have a, a full time communication team. That's their job. All the changes just, to the systems, just, all the educational material, all those things, and all through that cycle. Of you know the old the old adage, people have to hear things about seven different times before they really embrace it. And so, what are the different avenues and ways that you can get the message out? Ours are very standardized. People know exactly when they get an email from us. Is this an update? Is this a security alert? What is it? It's all standardized, templated and and that's the science of change management that Karen just mentions that you have to go through, especially with something like that she's going through right now.
0: very interesting. so. Karen, just real quick, I mean, that's a huge shift to me in the power dynamics of a health system. The fact that you now, from what you expressed, you now have IT being in a position of saying, don't sign the contract to acquire that physician practice until we give you the green light. That's a huge departure from where things used to be. It used to be, we're going to do business as we need to do business, and we'll tell you what you need to do after the fact. Exactly.
1: I, um, I, I, my, my platform for that discussion uh, started like this. I do not want to be the person who has to say no, Um, no, no happens. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but we can prevent my having to say no, if we're all on the same page and understanding how this is going to work right at the beginning, right at the beginning, IT can't come along and uh, say, okay, we're we're going. In some cases, we have to jump through hoops and respond to a very significant um, uh, request, especially those that involve you know patient safety or, or or something that requires us to sort of jump out of our norm and take care of something you know uh, specifically on its own. But for the most part, let let's work together right from the beginning to make sure that this onboarding of this, and again, that's just one example of an acquired mm-hmm. practice. That um, that, it, that there's no surprise to you, to me, to those providers, to our board, um, where, where I'm the person, um, you know, who says, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't give us enough time. There's no way we can get them on Tuesday per your contract. Um, that's ridiculous. And if we would have had a conversation beforehand, we could have prevented all of that. Now that's in the water. Now it's it's in the DNA of how we work. Mm -hmm. Um, And it took a lot. it did, Anthony, Mm -hmm. it took a long, and John will nod his head. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen overnight. That did not happen overnight. That took a long time for us to get there.
0: That's great stuff. Great stuff. All right, John, let's start with you on the next question. Um, Other than the users that were impacted, obviously you have to deal with them. Who, and it may depend on the specific software, Mm -hmm. who are the key individuals that CIOs can work with to make sure this change goes through?
2: So uh, that's a good question, right? I, I think obviously the one that you said other than, right, the, the yeah. folks affected are clearly some of the people you have to be working with. And and to me, that means all levels in that organization. It doesn't just mean directly, in our case, directly with nurses and department directors, but it means the C-suite of that hospital. Um, I think the other side of that is really the 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 partners that we have as well, the the vendors or the partners. And that goes a little bit to Rob's question here, which is how can we better support you? Mm-hmm. Um it's really critical that that our vendor partners don't get ahead of um our deployment and our plans, right? And and what you find very, very often is a vendor, once they are in the door, they get excited and they want to push or they want to deploy new things or they want to start selling outside what was originally in scope. And so I think uh, one of the things that we did very tightly with, um, with our partners, when we did these deployments is they sat here with us. They had people, they had to provide people that were part of the team uh, and they worked within our plan. We didn't Mm -hmm. work within their plan. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even if they came with a very robust plan that had to be folded into something larger, um, and so working with those, I think to me, one of those is the those vendor partners uh, that we have to deal with. So, you know, in, in the case with Karen of rolling out Epic, she's got to work with Epic. She's got to work with whatever partner she's selected that's part of that deployment uh, team. Uh, she's got at the elbow people, different groups. And, and I think it's really important that you work with them and you set boundaries on them, because if you don't, they can create chaos in the message that you're delivering. Uh, they add a new feature that they didn't tell you about. You know, we don't allow upgrades. We have a very strong uh, change advisory board, a cab, and a, a architectural review. We have a lot of different uh, levels you have to go through before you can employ things. But that's, to me, very important um, from an, from another group. It's the external partners.
0: Very good. Karen?
1: So I call them my my few best friends. In, in my organization if anybody from my organization is listening in on this or will listen to the recording, and go why wasn't I included in that but they're they, I've got them there're and I can count them on, on on my right hand uh the first one is uh is not the corporate CFO but the CFO who takes care of everything on the ambulatory side um she and I I I made sure that she know who I who I was um, that I knew who she was and that we were on the same page uh, given capital expenditure and just things that are just, you know, where's where are they being categorized from a budget perspective? Because given the size of our, pro, of our EPIC implementation, we have a huge budget for that, which opens itself up to, well, there's plenty of money in there. Let's just use that cap. Yeah, let's just use that. And we had to make sure that we protected that space. And, and I know that it's not so much change management as it is dollar management, budget management, but it also helps me. Um, I'm able to use that, that um, the guidelines that are that are built into into just, you know, expense management into uh, parlaying that into helping me with my change management techniques, if you will. You can read between the lines on that one. But um but she has helped me do that in a, in a big way. My other, my other, the other ones are are folks that are embedded in our clinical processes and our business administration processes. They are, and this is, this is a tired term, so to speak, but um, they're on the front lines. And they, these are folks that I've sort of, uh, I've been in meetings with they've, they've been at the table, but but silently or else they felt that their role wasn't grandiose enough to speak. (laughs) Um, But you kind of get the sense that they know everything Mm -hmm. and you can, you can, you can seek them out. um, And then it's up to you on how you use them, Um, befriend them, let them know that you trust them and their opinion and their stories and so a couple of times a month I reach out and I said okay what's happening what are you hearing what are you what are you experiencing what's the vibe and I get more out of that um than probably um anything anything that I do that lets me know um how the change is going things that we can sort of pivot different different a different maybe a different philosophy and how we're viewing certain things or things that we just didn't even think about. So um I keep best friends with my with my 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 money partner and then I got four of them out there that I check in with on a regular basis who truly let me know what's happening on the front lines.
0: Excellent excellent advice. Um, a, a story we love stories. Everyone says tell a story when you're talking. So john uh pressure packed uh two and a half years Uh, i know you may have a different story man but i'm just going to make a suggestion then you can tell whatever story you want do you want to tell a story Uh, i assume there was a worst moment of this whole thing this whole transition (laughs) a lowest point when you were like man this is not (laughs) this is a problem does that come to mind
2: that moment well yeah it really does I, i You know, I'm thinking through this whole process that we went through, and as I told you, we were less than two and a half years, and it took us about a year of planning. I had to get all the con everything in place, right? I mean, I had to go through these massive contracts, get everything ready to go, get it architected the way we wanted it. And I can remember this: um, it was probably the week before Christmas, 2019, and the CFO about five o'clock in the afternoon walked in my office and sat down, and he sighed and he said um i need you not to spend capital for the next five months of course we were having some there's a longer story with the financial restructure we had to go through um and 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 you can imagine what um what i thought right i had 18 months it was all mapped out i had all this work to do and it, it it was a risk regardless and i and i can remember just looking at him and saying i don't think i can do this I don't think I can get it done on time and we're going to have to ask for an extension on this TSA, which was not going to happen. And, and I think for me, that was the moment when I had to really get them to understand that um, especially a CFO, right? When my CFO is telling me, I don't need you to spend money um, that for me to pull this off, I'm going to have to spend more when I can spend now, because now I've got to, you got to throw more at it to get it done. Uh, and I think for me, that was a challenge because now I'm changing the budget, right? Mm-hmm. And and in his mind, it's, well, it's a delay, but you got to keep the same amount of money. And it just wasn't possible um, to, to get that done. And so it became a, a conversation of risk for the organization, right? What are, what are we willing to risk? And, and ultimately, I think what I convinced him was we're not willing to risk having all of our IT systems go away because we're not ready. And and I think for me, that was a huge moment of uh, it stuck with me because now I had to reconvince this organization because of those decisions, it's going to cost us more. Mm-hmm. And, and I think for me, that was just a difficult set of conversations.
0: So that's a great lesson for other IT executives out there on the line, that if you were being asked to do something that essentially is, you could say, impossible or, um, Creates a different set of risks that they they may not be realizing. Like, right. okay, you want me to do this thing? It's not for free, so to speak. Right. You're you're moving risk from A to B, um, mm-hmm. and, and so it's a communication story lesson. It's a lesson right. of you properly communicating the situation, not having a panic attack, not screaming and yelling, right. but
2: just saying, "Here, here's what you're signing up what for." What this means, That's right. right? That's right. Here, this is what it means, and and I can do it, you know, one of three ways you you have to be pretty quick on your feet. And, Mm -hmm. and it didn't, you know, it didn't took more meetings. Of course, now I have to go to vendors and delay their movements and delay orders and all kinds of things as well. But yes, it, it really is making sure that when people make decisions, they have really thought through the implications of that decision. Mm -hmm. Um, and and you got to hold your ground.
0: Great stuff. Karen, you want to tell us a story?
1: Yeah. So, uh, John, you already mentioned this. I didn't know that we had this in common until you mentioned it, but we both come from an operations background, not an IT, not IT, though, which makes us very dangerous CIOs <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, because we understand the business. And, and so when I, when I uh, started it at, at, at RWJBH um Again, focusing on the ambulatory space, and I started, and I my education of of how the practices were working. Um, I learned that as the as the hospitals as the healthcare system was acquiring the hospitals, along with those hospitals came those those oh those those uh, things on the tail end there those medical groups oh yeah those. Um, So we had a it's almost like a puzzle, like a puzzle. And the puzzle pieces are these disparate medical groups that were intentioned to to come together um, and work as a a single organization. We're still working through that um, that change. But what I learned and you've heard me say this a few times is that there are literally over 400 separate business offices um, because we haven't there's been no centralization other than some hardcore. Uh, billing aspects coding and so forth in the background but essentially um, all of these practices are working independently from a scheduling perspective pre-registration authorization um referral appointment management all of that is is decentralized per with very little exception um, but per uh, practice to practice now from for me coming from an operational background I was horrified <laughs> um it literally took my breath away because of the implications potentially from a revenue perspective for what that what that um causes and uh the just sheer unbelievably beautiful opportunity to centralize a lot of that using inf- information technology and um then i was handed a well well digitize all this mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, well, hold hold the phone. We can't jump to you know, we can't jump from 1995 to 2023 in a year. Um, so our our challenge, and what I what I challenged the medical group management with, and I had to be careful about staying in my lane in my IT lane while I I have this big operational hat on that I can't shake and won't won't ever shake. Is have you thought about contact centers? and centralizing a lot of this effort and pulling this out of the chaos of the practice. And um, that was not, it wasn't that it was not well-received, it was just, well, we've not done that, Mm -hmm. how do we Mm -hmm. do that? And I had to respond to that from a, well, there's, there's digital help for that, which we own, which we already have we just we just have to build we just have to figure out how how we're going to deploy it step by step process and so we're we're at the point where we're we're not there but we're getting there and um huge change for the organization to decide is you know decentralized better than centralized or or a nice mix of the two um but anyway that's that that that's I live that story now every day because that's a large part of of my job, is uh, from a telecom and digital perspective to to make that happen along with the colleagues that are over uh, that oversee those areas. But
0: Karen, I got to ask you this, and, and handle this as delicately as you want. Um, in, in my personal life, in my personal experience, I'm I can't think of a constituency that might be less interested in change than medical small to medium medical practices. Um and I'm not talking about the clinicians, I'm really talking about the the staff. Um you work with a challenging group is my guess.
1: I do. Is there a question there? <laughs> how, how,
0: how do you make it happen? How do um, how do you how do you get them on board?
1: Okay. Walk in their shoes. Uh-huh um provide every t- at every turn um and it has to be real it can't it can't be put up, put on um respond respond with empathy mm-hmm. um and a solution you can't just say i hear you oh man i feel your pain and then not and not follow that up with here's what we're going to try mm-hmm. um and here's what we're going to try not here's what we're going to do um, let it, let the, let the try be, they have to have a voice, mm-hmm. um, and give them examples always, always, always. And all those over 400 practices there, there's more than this, but there are 20 of them who are doing spectacularly well. Mm-hmm. And so learn from the best, learn from the one, the most challenged. Um, somewhere in between are the folks that we're talking about who are so hungry for I'm drowning, I'm drowning, I'm drowning, help help, 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 help um, And so site visits within your own organization uh, walk in their shoes type type um, uh, you know models of you know how do we figure mm-hmm. out that workflow. all of that we do every day. And I think sometimes, it, it may not cure the illness, but it sure does make them feel better. Yeah, and, and goes as long way. Yeah, as long, as long as you're providing that understanding, then, um, then, then, you know, at least, at least, at least the tone, it is better.
2: Yeah, I always I always use this phrase, I'm not doing this to you, I'm doing this with you. And, right. and, you know, I know, sometimes it feels like, especially when it's technology, we're just foisting something on you that you don't want, or we don't like change. We're so busy. Sometimes we don't have a choice, right? Regulatory and things like that. Other times it's making sure they can understand might be hard now, but when you get over that barrier, it's actually better.
1: Yeah.
0: Let's, let's uh, go a little bit into what we discussed on our, on a few minutes of our pre-call, the differences between change management and the reception of users to working with the new software, depending on, you know, we talk about the pitching and the catching, depending on where the impetus to acquire that software came from. If it came from the department that is now tasked with using, it, if it bubbled up from them, so to speak, and it was a request put forth to IT, um, the we would think they would have more interest in embracing this software. If it was more of an enterprise top-down thing, an EMR or ERP, where it really is top-down because it's such a huge, purchase um they may not be as interested in uh learning all the bells and whistles uh but but do you have to have different approaches depending on where the request for the software came from john i'll let you go first
2: yeah i, I think you do um and and sometimes as you say it's it's top down because it's regulatory or it's financial or whatever it might be as as i read this question what it reminded me of was uh I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe, um, I went through a significant change in the organization and we standardized on GE products. You know, when when I was there, we did an assessment and we were all over the board, Philips, GE, every different type of device. We did the negotiation. We were going to get better pricing at that time through GE. And and I can remember this conversation that happened because we were going to change vital machines that we had Philips and different brands. and um, we decided to standardize on GE and I had a, a a chief nursing officer from the hospital call me and said, you, you can't do that here. We just we can't handle that. And I and I said, well, help me understand why. And she said, well, they know where all the buttons are on the on the Philips device. And they said and now they got to learn something new and i said well so it it became a question of okay well let me make sure you as the cno and administrative person understand the cost savings we're talking about for the organization and it was millions and i said my question to you is does the ge device do something different than the philips device and the answer was no it did the same thing the buttons were in a different spot and so in that particular case it it is an irritant, right? Because the nurse is used to pushing a button in mm-hmm. a certain spot, and you have to be you have to be sensitive to that. Um, but at the same time, the the cost benefit to the organization was worth it. On the other side of that coin is exactly what you're talking about: a vendor decides to suddenly change the position of a button on a screen uh, without telling you, without forcing anyone else. And and the question really now becomes: when when we deal with our EHR and other vendors, is you have to come through me to make that change because I'm going to hold off any change that has no value simply mm-hmm. because it's a change in your design or your look and feel. We're we're just not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you have to then tweak that type of desire for change and try to back it off because, as you say, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. If you, if you continue to make every little tweak here and there and they all seem small, at some point you're bleeding out and it, it's really important that you know where it came from and what the value is.
0: So, so John, just let's get into that a little bit more and technically how that would work. You have, as I mentioned in, in that question that was on the screen, you have different size vendors. Um, a smaller vendor may have a dialogue with you about what right. they're looking to do, especially if you're one of their biggest customers. A large vendor, like an Epic, they're not going to be checking with you to see what they should do on their latest release. They've got user groups and formal stuff and all that, but they're not asking you. But you're saying that you've worked it out with your vendors where I want to know, you want to put out an upgrade. I want to know exactly what's in that update. And I want to decide if this is an update or an upgrade we're going to take. Uh, I'm going to make a decision based on what's in there and the value that I see, uh, whether or not we're going to roll that out. And I may skip this one. If I don't think there's much in there, I may hold off on this one. I'll look at the next
2: one. Is that how it works? That's right, because because in our case, and we have that luxury. We're not on Epic, thankfully, uh, but we have that luxury of of making those decisions. And what I what I really force on them is, unless it's a a hot fix because something is down or it's a you know a security issue or a regulatory thing that just came out, is I need enough lead time to do the education, the training, mm-hmm. make the decisions, talk to the users, and understand that impact. And we might delay it. We may we may take look at the risks of not doing that upgrade right now, and plan for a future upgrade. So we we try to do that wherever we can.
0: Real quick, and then I'm going to go to Karen. John, do you ever have a situation where an upgrade has a combination of things in it, one of which may be an important security fix, for example, and also we move the button from here to there? It comes together, and you say, Uh well, we
2: want the security part, but I don't want that button moved because it does nothing. Do you get into that level of detail? Sometimes. And sometimes we have to deal with it. And that's where then it really becomes an issue of education. And our communication team is really critical in that. Right. So we're doing different. If it's something that's happening tomorrow and it's going to affect things more than just the security component in the back end, um, then we have rapid communication. We have people on the ground that go out and do education. So we try to accommodate, but we, we try to make sure that happens as as infrequently as we can.
0: Karen, anywhere you want to jump in with all that good stuff.
1: <laughs> so uh the last 10 or 15 years, it was easy from terms of in terms of uh change affecting our customer base. Um why did you do this to us? You know, why why this change? We used to be able to say, because the feds are uh-huh. mandating right. the feds, the feds, the feds. Um, that that gave us that that was an easy answer. And hardly it was okay, we'll accept the pain because we know we have no choice. Right. Now it's less about that. And I and I respond by saying it's not well, I don't say it's not the feds anymore, but <laughs> it, <laughs> it's our it's our patients. They are they are expecting most of them, not all, but most of our patients are expecting a very seamless, frictionless, pristine digital experience. And, um, they, they get it everywhere else. They now expect to get it, um, uh, with their healthcare organization and beyond. And all that, that raises some eyebrows. Um, it's like, oh, right. You know, you, it's hard to argue with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives, it gives a lot of, a lot of, uh, of the, of the clinicians and, and this, And the folks who support our clinicians, a lot of food for thought and looking at things from a different perspective. You're used to using a system that does this, this, and this, and it was very convenient for you and very, you felt like home when you were using Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the experience for the patient, you have no idea necessarily what that was. And now everything that we're doing, especially with Epic and my chart and, and having one patient, one chart, and and you know, the ability for no matter where you go, you have access to that data. Um, in in, in many ways, not always, but in many ways, um, the 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 experience for the patient who was our ultimate customer mm-hmm. is phenomenal. So yeah. keep that in mind when you're adjusting to change.
0: Yes, yes. Um I'll tell a quick little anecdote and is there's a message in here. So I, I, my supermarket, right. My regular supermarket, I, I'm, I was in and out. That was so fast. I knew where everything was. Then they switched everything around. I'm lost. And I'm thinking, you know what, as we're talking today, if there was a sign up at the front that says, here's why we did this, I would have, I would be much happier. Oh, there exactly. was some logic behind this. Not just now I can't find the peanut butter anyway. You Please pardon them. our
2: dust, right? Please
0: pardon. Us. It's just uh it's frustrating. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to launch a quick little poll. We're going to have fun with this. Um so you should be able to see the poll on your screen. Um business leaders again, this is my theory here. Business leaders bear um not all, but the lion's share of responsibility for the change manage of management of their users even when it comes to IPT projects. So but IT projects being rolled out—forget about who requested it, whether it came top down or bottom up—I'll give IT maybe thirty percent. I'm not—we're not, not going to let IT off the hook. They've got a responsibility here, but I'm saying the business leaders bear the responsibility of making sure their people are using that software. So let's answer that question, and then we will take a look at the results in a few minutes. Um, ask a co panelist. I want to—I want to get to that. John, do you have a question for Karen? I'd love to hear this.
2: Yeah, that's great. I, I do. Hey, Karen. Um, so I guess my question for you is if there was one thing you didn't wish you had to do in your job, what would it be? Oh, I love it.
1: Oh. Um it's not just me. It's it's myself, my my boss, and my uh my colleagues in IT. We actually had to build uh, and I, I want to make sure I say this right, because it's not like I don't like doing this, but we had to do this. And it was like, really, we're having to do this? At this <laughs> point? Um, we had to build a really strong governance structure. Yep. We were without that. We thought we had it. Um, but we actually did not because decisions were being made willy nilly mm-hmm. outside the you know outside what could be a good a good um conversation or structure for approval denial that sort of thing but we had to completely build we had to work to build a governance structure and you know that's very hard to do and then you have to sell it mm. um to the folks who have to abide by it so how's that one that's good that, I agree.
2: <laughs>
0: That was not fun, it huh, feels, Karen. Feels like wasn't it wasn't like be necessary. Let's do <laughs> yeah. this again. Not fun. That's Definitely. Great. That's great. All right. Excellent question, John. Um, Karen, do you have a question for John? You get back at him for that tough question. <laughs>
1: um, so I, I'm going to keep it along along those lines, since that's that's of of such importance. Um, so governance structure, John. Um, how is it? Is it Is it very your governance structure? You have a huge organization um, that you support. We're not too far behind that. I think we're half of we're we're a little bit less than half of what you ever see. But what how does how does that work or how did you did did you inherit something? Did you have to make changes to it? Does it work? Is it effective?
2: Um. We're, we're. I think in some ways, when I got here, it was like yours. It didn't exist, and it and it's getting better. Um, we're probably not as formal because in a lot of cases we spent so long on just the transition, right? Just we we went from what I call transition. We spent about a year in what's transformation, and now we're optimizing, and now we're actually able to start getting the business users to get in front of and let us mm-hmm. know beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not as formal as yours. Um, I wish it was. In fact, that's what I built in Texas, a very formalized process, but we're getting better. Uh, a lot of mine is still um, a little bit of reminders and cajoling. Uh, we we get some of it, uh, but there's still the, hey, we have a practice opening next week and we have to do <laughs> this because the other group quit. And they thanks for letting me know um, early on in the process. So uh, I think for us- It it, Because the organization that we and I guess I will say we inherited that was spun out was very decentralized uh, in that way. It's been a it's been a real cultural shift uh, for a lot of these hospital C-suites. They were always allowed to do their own thing. Uh, And now it's we've pulled things back. So probably not as effective as I'd like it to be. Um, And I think in my case, I, I wish we didn't have to do that. I wish people thought that way. And even more so, I wish that I didn't have to, um, I don't want to say lecture, but have conversations around ROI, right? Why why am I having this conversation? Uh, That's supposed to be how you think automatically, but um, yeah.
0: All right, you ready for some poll fun? All right, here's what we're going to do. Karen, do more people agree or disagree? And then we'll get John's opinion. Then I'll reveal the results.
1: I'm going to say that they, most people agree. Okay.
2: Um, all right. All right. Yeah, we're short on time. So we'll leave it there. John, okay. agree I'm gonna or disagree? I'm going to come down on the disagree side. I'm hopeful that people starting to see it a different way. All right. Well. There's
0: the wow. results. 88% <laughs> of people agree that business leaders are ultimate or should bear the lion's share of responsibility. John, that's a good thing. That takes you off the hook. Uh, right? That's right. I guess
2: I, I guess I can go home earlier.
0: Yeah, you're done. Take the day off. So um 88 to 12 percent. So wow. that's fun there. All right. Listen, uh, I wouldn't really have time for a last word, but excellent conversation. Um incredible amounts of great information out there, and a tremendous amount of fun that is about all the time we had for today regarding continuing education. You can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor a webinar with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and go to our website to register for upcoming panels with that, I want to thank our tremendous panel. lots of fun today John Mason, Karen Marhefka, I want to thank you our attendees. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.
2: Thank you all. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.